Jay. Hey, Steve. How's it How going, brother? It's Welcome. going well, man. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you bringing me on. It's great having you on. It's great having uh, another inked up uh, Northeast. That's <laughs> right, man. Hawaii. So you kind of you kind of bailed on us, but that's okay. Yeah, man. I, you know, it's um, it was a hard thing to do. Somebody had to make the sacrifice, you know, to <laughs> to bring our caustic Northeast humor out here. <laughs> you know, it's um. Like looking at your pictures, the waves. It's I know there's surfing involved somewhere in there. It, that's living the life. Yeah, right yeah, it's crazy. It, it really is. It's um, everywhere you look on this island, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, every in every direction, the spiritual energy here is is uh, incredible. Uh, I'm I'm part of the recovery community as well. I've been coming to this island for about 11 years. So okay. It, it wasn't like you know I was worried about getting here because I had a you know I had a, a, a fellowship and a and a network before I got here you know when I was in the Northeast I had a couple of friends here from the program that every time it snowed up by us they would send me pictures of rainbows. <laughs> Just it in. You know? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So you've been down there for how long now? I just like moved living. here in I just moved here in June. Okay. I moved in the middle of the pandemic. What happened is because uh, because of what I do for work now, you know, I'm a counselor uh, in uh, in the employee assistance field, uh, substance use, mental health. Um, I, I came here in March for a few, a couple of weeks, like I do usually every year, to uh, to decompress and just do a spiritual retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what happened is uh, between March 5th and the 19th, you know, the zombie apocalypse happened. So on my way home, it was masks and, and uh, it was kind of really creepy, I guess, you know, because when I landed back in Boston on the 19th, I was the only guy like in Logan Airport. And I was the only guy on this bus called the Logan Express. And then when I picked up my car, I was literally the only car on the 93 Expressway going into Boston. It was like Mad Max type of thing. And. And because of that, you know, we, we went fully, I went fully remote. Several of the clinicians in the office went fully remote. So I was like, yeah, if I'm going to be fully remote, it's not going to be in a third floor walk up in the city anymore. So I made the call. And, uh, you know, one of the impetuses, you know, one of the drives behind that too, was I had a really good friend that I worked with for, you know, 30 plus years uh, at the airline who got COVID-19 and passed away without having a minute of retirement. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. You know, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I'm not afraid of dying. But after that, I was afraid of dying with regrets. And, I've, and this has been my end game for a lot of years. So here I am. You know, you know, it is. It's like of all the shit that we put ourselves through, this shit, you know, takes people out. And you didn't want to have it take you out. You know, you've been through all this stuff. You, you want to enjoy life. You got so. Yeah. Uh, move on. And yeah. Yeah. And after all this, have somebody, or... yeah, yeah. After all this, somebody, you know, cough on me and stop and shop, and that's it, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, actually, um, I haven't been surfing for a little while here because I, uh, I caught a, you know, a, a, a close break like ah, three and a half weeks ago, bottomed out and dislocated my shoulder. Luckily, there was a guy on a beach helped me put it back in. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah, oh, it's kind of a common. thing. Well, yeah, as soon as that bounces back and it gets tight. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, um, 
you know, uh, my, um, my, my situation is uh, I can't complain. Uh, I'm absolutely in love with life. You, you'll pry sobriety from my cold, dead hands at this point. You know, God willing, uh, you know, in April, I'll have 14 years myself. So, yeah. One month more to make. One month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, class of two thousand seven. I saw that on your uh, yep. on your Instagram. Yeah. Oh. What brought you to take a trip? What was uh, what was life? Are you from the? Boston? How was how was it growing up? Yeah. Well, Boston. I mean, I grew up in um in. I was born in Boston, in the city, and uh, eventually my 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 family moved out to uh, a, a beautiful little resort town called Brockton. <laughs> and if you look it up, it says Brockton is not a very good place. You know, I mean, it's, you know, no offense to Brockton, but but it says it says it's like a higher crime rate than ninety eight percent of the cities of comparable size. So. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a, a madness there. I, I was uh, class of 82, Brockton High School, graduating class of 1,365. When I went there, there was about 6,000 kids in the school. And it was just a, a madhouse, you know. Um, I, I, I grew up in one of those, you know, my, my family was a little off. Um, you know, I wasn't, I'm not one of those, hey, I had a really nice, normal family. It really wasn't. Uh, there was some mental illness in my family, single parent, family, parent home. It's not the reason, that, though, you know, I, I, it's because I drank and drug is why I became an alcoholic and a drug addict. But, you know, early on, it really wasn't normal. So I was in an autonomous country and able to make all my own decisions very young. So I didn't make a whole lot of good ones back then. So, yeah, uh, what I did is... Um, Picked up alcohol, picked up drugs real quick, you know, get out of myself, feel comfortable around other people. I had one older sister, God rest her soul, she passed away already uh, from lung cancer. But um, that was it, man. I just did, did like anybody else, uh, you know, uh, in, in who's, you know, our story. You know, I, I found it. It, it. it found me. I loved it. I used it for... You know, to escape for oblivion, like uh, you know, all, all the things in the book it says is is what I did, and and uh, I went about my life, and then I uh, I got into um I got sick of Boston, and I kind of jumped in my car and I left, uh, and I was going down the Cape to meet a couple of friends to Cape Cod, and now uh, what I did is I kind of like drove to Florida. <laughs> I took everything. (laughs) I went stopped at the bank because I was working at a trucking company, and and uh, you know, um, there's a lot of crystal meth, a lot of that floats around the trucking industry. So, you know, I don't know about that, but anybody does a lot of crystal meth, they can do a lot of overtime. So I did a lot of, you know, I I had some money in the bank, so I I stopped to grab a couple hundred bucks for the weekend and I just grabbed like everything I had like eight grand and I drove to Florida. It took me about 20 years to get back to Boston. But uh, yeah, I lived in uh, Orlando, Newark, Syracuse, Charlotte, Escondido, California. Uh, I did the, uh, <laughs> I did the geographical um, cure. You know, I, I tried to, uh, I tried to get away from myself and everywhere, like they say, everywhere I went, there I was. And along the way, when I was in Florida, I met this woman, this girl. I thought she was cute. I ended up, um, I, I ended up leaving there and getting a job with the airlines. That's the funny thing is, uh, 
when I went to Florida, I was hanging around the bar down the called the Comfort Inn in Kissimmee, Florida, and there was a bunch of kids there that were going to like this airline school. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I'm pretty good at math, and I realized enrolling in the airline school was cheaper than just staying at the hotel. So I enrolled in the airline school. You know, and I hung out there <laughs> until the end, and I got a job. Somebody offered me a job in North Carolina, so uh, I, I took the uh, I took the job in North Carolina, and uh, she went back up north. But then I was in North Carolina for a little while, drinking that purple Jesus they call it. It's just like Kool Aid poured into moonshine. Oh, and um, oh yeah, yeah, legless. Trying to, I try to watch a baseball game, and I remember standing up and falling down the entire length of the stands, you know, and then like crawling to my car. But um, so what happened is they said they offered uh, jobs in the Northeast, New Jersey, or um, LaGuardia in New York, either Newark, Newark, New Jersey, or LaGuardia. So I took Newark to go north. And uh, one of the interesting things was, is that's where the, the, the girl was, my first, she ended up being my first wife. And uh, I called her up when I got there. We went, we met at a, at a club with her friends and she looks at me and she says to her friends, this is Jay and he's here to ruin my life. <laughs> joking around. <laughs> joking around. She had, she had no idea how true that was. Uh, <laughs> At the time, you know, but um, <clears throat> we had a we had a child, you know, right away. Um, we stayed together. Uh, then I ended up subsequently, you know, pulling them all around the country. I took them up to Syracuse, New York. Uh, you know, everywhere I went because I was with the airline, I could just do a lateral transfer and and uh, keep my job. But I just every time I got bored or crazy or too many things were going wrong because of my substance use. Uh, I would just bail out and uh, and drag them along with me. So, um, so my my daughter, my oldest daughter, was born in New Jersey. My my middle daughter was born in upstate New York, and my son was born in, in Massachusetts. Because I I finally said, you know, let's go to Boston. You know, there'll always be a job there. That was, you know, during the downturn in '94 and everything. But got back to Boston, and it just progressed like it always does. Uh, and what had happened is it got real bad in 1998. Now, 1998 was when, um, of course, I was ignoring my family a lot because I was just uh, I was a musician at the time. You know, I was working as, as well as playing music. And I, I actually had a pretty good run as a musician. You know, I opened for Godsmack, Slaughter, The Hunger, um, played Aerosmith's Club, opened for um, Seven Dust. Nice. Uh, just had a, had a lot had a lot of had a lot of fun with it, but it was really uh, kind of a mess, you know. Because I had that in my head that uh, you know I was supposed to like you know die playing music. That's how it was. It was like this ego thing, like you know. So yeah, people laugh and they say, "Well, you know, you did pretty good, but you know, how come we never really heard of you?" And I'm like, "Well, they don't do behind the music on people who completely blew the gig before they, they <laughs> succeeded." <it. laughs> you know, you know I, that's what I said. I go, "I was so uh, you know, in such a rush, I decided to skip over commercial success and go directly to the drug-addled suicide." You know, um, but I had a good run. Put out a record in '98. We had a lot of fun with it. Every, you know, up to a couple of years ago, I was still getting like little, you know, checks from you know ASCAP with the the Association of Songwriters and Producers, and you know it would be like a dollar sixty-five because somebody was still playing my record in Norway. Um, you know, 
But, uh, you know, I realized, wow, there must be some depressed people up there because that was a pretty dark album. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just progressed and progressed and, and, and the the band fell apart because of, you know, my continued inability to function. And uh, in 1998, I tried to get sober. I tried to, I, I, I went to a place called the Good Hope Center in Rhode Island. And uh, and they were really good. And, you know, I got to be, I got to, I got to hand them credit because although I did not remain sober, I, I only got, got about 60 days and then I picked up again. Um, and, and that's what I tell people. I relapsed once, you know, for nine years. Um, but uh, actually, that's not true because I relapsed every single day because every single day I didn't want to keep doing it. And every single day I did. But uh, over that period of time, uh, when I did finally get to the to the point, which was uh, April 8th, 2007, uh, I woke up, wife gone, kids gone, house in foreclosure. Uh, and that's when I got up and I said, yeah, man, it, it's time. You know, what had happened the last night, I guess, you know, I came home uh, from the bar room and uh, my wife had uh, cleaned out the last of her belongings, taken all the kids belongings. And I walked into the house and I saw that. And of course, you know, like the typical, you know, egomaniacal alcoholic, I, uh, I said, well, let me go down and grab a couple of 30 racks and celebrate, you know. What I did is proceed to to have a three day blackout, uh, and um, I guess the phone call to her was like, "You don't want any of the furniture, neither do I." And I, I, I over a three day period, I sawzalled every piece of furniture in a four bedroom house <laughs> in a blackout, and I stacked it out in front of the house. It was like the Great Wall of Idiot. Yeah. So when I woke up, you know, I'm looking at the house; it's destroyed. Um, I come down the stairs. It looks like Santa Claus's sled went out the front door. That's because I saw all the uh, a uh, sleeper sofa in half, the metal frame, uh, when I dragged it outside. And I opened the door and I saw it, this mess. And I just said, "Oh my, it's time! Oh yeah, yeah. it's time." It was probably time what, a long time. <laughs> oh yeah, it was way before we that. Like to fucking drag but, ourselves, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The glutton for punishment. Oh, yeah. But yes, yeah, so what I did is I walked up, you know, and because of there was, you know, and I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a 12 step guy. I, I have no problem with that. I admit that, you know, it's really, it saved my life and the fellowship and a higher power of my own understanding. Um, but I walked back up into the, uh, into a men's meeting. Uh, in in my town, right down the street from the house, I walked back in there and I just said, "Man, you know." And the and the strange thing was, I sat there with my hands, uh, my face in my hands, and 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 I'm just sitting there going, like, you know, I came to this program in 1998 and it didn't work for me, and blah blah blah. And I'm thinking all that stuff, and I hear this voice, and I turn around, and it's this guy, Jack. He looks like Jack Nicholson, sounds like Jack Nicholson, rode a motorcycle. I still remember meeting him nine years earlier, going, "Wow, man, you can be sober and cool at the same time." Yep. And, and I was like, "Man, I, you know, I met this guy in Winthrop, Massachusetts." and here he is in Peabody and I started talking to him and he started helping me out man and that's where this 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 one began you know and haven't had a drink or a drug since you know it's um, been an incredible journey it really has been isn't it wonderful to, to wake up with a smile on your face and it's not put there <laughs> some mood altering yeah. substance 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, but even in the beginning, it was just good to wake up with like no open wounds and not being in jail. You know, I didn't even like <laughs> that was up. an improvement. I didn't even want to wake that, up when I went to bed. I'm like, just take me already. Just finish it. Exactly. Yeah. You get get that thought. Your eyes open up, and you're like, another day. Yeah. Exactly. You you. It's just darkness sucking you in every waking moment. Yeah. And the only relief you get is when you sleep. Yeah. That's why you sleep so much when you're depressed. Yeah. Because it's relief. Yeah. It's you're just, yeah, you're just trying to shut yeah. it off. Now, now you trying to shut it yeah, off. Exactly. Go. You're trying to shut down your brain because it's going but it's going there pretty fast that's that's how i would describe it yeah. you're going nowhere fast your, your head is going at a thousand miles an hour and most of the time you think about how much you hate yourself and your life you become and when you fall asleep, yeah exactly you might have a good dream yeah and one of the things one of the things that was really uh, when i did you know i i got sober and i started you know really you know, uh, listening to some of these, you know, to some of the guys in the program, because my first six months, I was not happy at all, man. I was like miserable. But my first six months were out of spite, okay. you know, and I know that, you know, and I always say like God, you know, you know, works through people. And he worked through my ex-wife at the time, because when I called her up, of course, I wanted a I wanted accolades. I wanted applause for having three weeks, you know, clean and sober. And, and she was like, you're a drunken drug addict and that's all you'll ever be. So out of thick-headed mix spite <laughs> that I am. But then around six months, I really realized, I said, wow, I really have not gotten high and I haven't had a drink. And and uh, and I said, so I approached some people in the program that were like, you know, the, the happy guys, the guys that I am now, you know? And I was like, well, you guys are like happy with this. How, how does that work? And that's when I started, you know, working the, the 12 steps of the program. And, and it really changed everything. It started, I started to realize, you know, like, like they explain, you know, alcohol is but a symptom. We have to get down to causes and conditions. And, and that's, that's where it really, you know, the, the, the healing started to begin there. Um, and, and eventually I went into, um, I was always uh, uh, at work. I always made it to work though, you know, I always made it to work. There were several times there where I shouldn't have been, Still had my job, but you know, people. Luckily, I was uh, I was in a union, and I had you know guys that had helped me and 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 try to help me many times. But what happened is, um, you know, actually, you know, I got through the first couple of years, and 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 I was elected in the union, and and that was helping people. But then I really got interested in the employee assistance aspect of the of the of the 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 union. So. Uh, I started working in the employee assistance and they sent me to this school in Hollywood, Maryland, uh, which is the Whipsinger W3 uh, Technology and Education Center. And it's just, it's like, it looks like Harvard, you know, it's beautiful. But, uh, and it really, really, you know, got me interested in the field. And, and, and that's what happened is I started working on my credentials for, you know, uh, actually becoming a professional counselor. And, and that was, a, that was an eye opening thing because I, I was very apprehensive a little bit because I was afraid it was going to intellectualize my sobriety. You know, it's like, if it, if it's not broken, don't yeah. fix it, you know? So I thought I would, you know, if I got into school and started doing the, you know, the clinical aspect of it, that I would, I would think about it too much. But you know, so but it actually brought me a lot of relief uh, because um, 
what it taught me uh, is that you know, like the disease model, the the uh, you know the midbrain and how it works, and you know the different parts of it. Uh, I started to realize that it wasn't just a cascade of poor decisions. You know, there was there was a, a lot more going on there, and I became fascinated by that. You know, I actually do a, a presentation now, and I've done it at you know the bu- building trades uh, in Boston. You know, in front of all the contractors, and I've done it at at uh, pre-release and Wyman reentry and all these c- corrections facilities about how that midbrain, how it works as far as, you know, the reward system, how the priorities list is eat, kill, insects, food, protect yourself, procreate, keep the species going. And and through, you know, the explosive dopamine spikes associated with like drugs and alcohol that the uh, the substance works its way to the top of the list real quick. And and that brought me some relief. It brought me some relief. It really did. Because I, I started to, for a long time, I thought it was a bad person. And then I realized that there was a lot more to it. So... And that's why I do that presentation. That's that's like my gig every Thursday. I uh, I go on um, and with my company, um, I do a, an intensive outpatient class on the on the neuroscience of addiction. I do it every Thursday. So yeah, you do a it's, class, uh, it's it, uh, like online. You have students, or yes, yes. Yeah, well, it's it's an intensive outpatient program for people that are affiliated with our uh, with our program. So we, we provide on-site treatment, and usually it's on-site, um, you know, at the offices in, in Boston. But you know, with you know with the COVID, and we've gone completely um, remote. But um, and that's one of the things I think I'm going to miss uh, after leaving Boston because I used to do a lot of in-person yeah. presentations, like to big, you know apprentice halls and stuff like 200 people and 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 it was a lot of fun you know like if you use a you know if you use a, a loud noise and you make somebody jump you explain to them how their fight or flight is now working you know it's it's fun it's different um, you know i spoke last monday yeah in my town at a meeting and there was just a couple people there and then it was like a hybrid but it was so much yeah i expressed how great to be in a room full of like-minded people just to be you know feel physical you know social interaction it's so much different online's great but that's all we have right now definitely feeling the energy too and you know you get that little bit of feedback you know um which helps but yeah the identification is so important it's so important to uh for 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 people in recovery to speak uh, I remember my first year I, I had a guitar player I mean I had a sober band that we did pretty well as well and uh, one of the guitar players was in recovery and when I was coming up on my year he said well you're going to do your year and I said well you know I don't want to make a big deal out of it and he was like it's not about you you asshole <laughs> <laughs> and he was right you know he was right um, yeah so after I got the uh, I got yeah I was lucky I got into um into uh, the the uh, addiction counseling education program at UMass Boston, uh, and my first uh, teacher, who has ended up being uh, the CEO of the company I work for now, and and um, it's just been a, an incredible journey. The the owner, uh, the guy who created 
the uh, the company. It's called Modern Assistance Programs, and and he, the owner, God rest his soul, he died of cancer a few years back. But his name was Paul and Paul M, and he was just an incredible man. He helped so many people, you know. And he didn't care, like you know, like we have guys that have long lost since lost their union gigs, lost their insurance, lost their everything. But if they have ever been part of our program, we they still like you know if they come up for air at a shelter, we still help them, you know. And that was Paul's philosophy, and that that hasn't changed, you know. Uh, we still we help a ton of people. Um, it's just something that we love to do. I know. I, 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 what a dedicated group of individuals at that place. You know, it's it's a whole different animal. It's not. It's definitely not corporate at all. We're we're pretty. It's pretty personal. So many people in the recovery community um, are are you know really. I don't know. It's the I don't know about you, Steve, but the people that I've met in the in the fellowship and in the recovery community are, are the most legit people I've ever met in my life. Give a shit because you know? we didn't give a shit for so long that we we felt like, hey, why not give a shit for for a little while and see how that works? And we fought, we <laughs> yeah, yeah, we owe some we owe some time. <laughs> we owe some good time. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, can't take this wonderful unmerited gift and run away with it and have a wonderful life. And I gotta. I got to get back. I do a pro bono case here. Um, every Friday, I go see an individual, and this is probably the most, geez, uh, the most brutal example of uh, consequences of of alcohol and drug addiction. This is a a young man that, um, due to his ice use, you know, methamphetamine out here, he had a pontine stroke, and uh, and and basically he's lost everything he only has is, is a little bit of his left hand uh, that can move and he's lost his power of speech and but uh i go in and i uh i work with him every friday and and he we communicate through like a laminated sheet where he you know spells out a word and you know and i write that write out the words but the interesting thing about it it's locked in syndrome he's 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 completely and totally aware in there. He's just locked in. It's a heartbreaking rough. thing. It's rough. But you're there for but, him, and that's but, important. That's yeah. You know something. For a long time, the first couple of the first couple of like the first month or so, I was like, "What do I say to this guy? What can I do uh, to help this guy?" And literally, it hit me one day. I said, "Dude, you do nothing. You see miracles in the program every single day. You have you have recovered." from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I had two heart attacks too. I've died twice. I got a 28 millimeter stent in my chest. My only purpose is to be there and be a, a miracle on one side of the table with the possibility of another miracle on the other. You know, and uh, there's no there's no reason that that young man can't be a miracle at some point in time either. You know, so it's just doing what we're supposed to I do. do Carry the message. I do it because I, I'm shit. I'm scared shitless of going back. Really am. I am <laughs> Agreed. That's a healthy fear. Going back because I don't think I'm going to make it. I have no, you know, illusion or delusional. I'm not. I have a thought process of, of going back and thinking it's going to be. You know, it's it's can't even find yeah. words right now to express yeah. it. But I just I do it to save my own ass and it help, helping people makes mm-hmm. me feel good and I get to help people and it's like maybe this is my purpose in life maybe I was shown hell yeah. so I could bring other people you know some kind of not redemption because you know Jesus but some kind of relief and maybe a better a chance at life that they that they want because we're, we are kind of 
you know they're given a simple program and we can fuck it up in a heartbeat oh without question yeah we can really complicate things and that's why i know and that's why i know i you know i i people say to me you know like i have family members and stuff they say you're doing so well why why do you still go to those meetings and stuff i said because because i like where i'm at you know i know that it, it, i can tell if 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 i want to choke somebody dude i'm off my game yeah. you know i'm totally off my game you know, so, uh, you know, all I have to do is get the least little bit aggravated or irritated. And then I know I'm just not, I'm not doing enough. And then I'll do a brief inventory. That's right. I was too busy this week. I had extra clients, blah, 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 whatever. And I didn't get to, I got to one meeting and two meetings and I'm rolling around in my own head. Immediately. I already, that's one thing I love about the program. We can immediately process what's going on. And, and if we, if we're, if we're in anger, restless, irritable, discontented, we know we don't have to be there. Sometimes we just swim around in it to feel good because it changes how we feel, you know? Do you know, you know what I and, say? Uh, say, oh, you're doing so well. Why do you have to keep going to those meetings? Uh, and I tell them, uh, because I, I want you to tell me how well I'm doing every time you see me. That's why I keep going. This why when I, <laughs> smile, I tell you, that's why I'm still going. Just see, I can get a you know yeah. it's um it's great and it also you know not only do we get to help people and stay out of our own heads but we have this other this other door that opens where where i can, I can look at and find so many different hobbies to get into and, and i see you lifting a lot I, I want you to plug your page so people know because you have great videos on your on your page when you talk about um your instagram page i forget exactly the yeah it's jay's it's j underscore digs underscore sobriety that's mine yeah and you know something that's just about you know showing showing people that you know sobriety can be cool and fun you know since i got here i'm doing these hikes into these thousand foot cliffs just last weekend i mean some of the the pictures i put up last, you know just from that were incredible and, and i wouldn't be doing any of that stuff so i wouldn't you know i wouldn't have the ability to to go up a sheer wall, you know, without any Probably of that. Be in Hawaii. You know? It's it's funny you say that when you tell yeah, when you tell, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I would probably be in the can or in the ground without question. Like Mike, you know, my, I don't know about your family members, but a lot of my family members are huge fans of AA, and none of them are in AA. Oh yeah, living a man. You know, uh, they see it every day. Dude. Yeah, one of my funny. I had this beautiful house for a while in uh, the woods of New Hampshire up in North Conway, like where all the skiing is. And I had this really nice house in the woods. And and uh, one of the things that I never thought I would ever see is me being clean and sober, having this beautiful place in the woods and, you know, two acres of, of land and have one of my kids pull up with grandchildren. I have two grandchildren. I have three children. So, um, you know, so they would pull up. But I'm that type of guy. I'm that type of guy. I need a, a home group every 150 feet. Okay. You know, so uh, when I was so when I was in New Hampshire, I had a home away from home group called the Madison Candlelight, and I would go there uh, on Friday. So when the kids come up, uh, the grandchildren, I'd make them something to eat. I'd go down the stairs and get in the car and go to my meeting. But uh, this one time, it was really funny. I'm walking down the stairs after I gave my granddaughter a kiss, and I'm walking down the stairs, and I hear her say to my daughter, where's Papa going? And my daughter says, uh, he's going to see his friends, honey. And she says, why? My oldest daughter says, because he keeps us all happy. Because <laughs> if he doesn't, he's a raving lunatic. Yeah, it was really nice. 
Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, I mean, because that's the reality, man. My my grandchildren have never seen me drink, but my three children have seen me arrested at gunpoint. You know, there's a difference there. You know, it's ugly. Yeah, but you know what? They know it can be a really ugly Oh, yeah, my kids are so good. As, I mean, my middle daughters, you know, I can't even really get into any morbid reflection around her. She's like, Dad, you're not that guy anymore, you know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm real grateful for that, too. And one time I was walking down the beach when I was living in Boston. I'm walking down the beach in, uh, at, in Quincy, and, and my phone rings at 9 o'clock at night. It's my oldest daughter. I'm like, well, that can't be good. And I answer the phone. She says, Dad, I just want to talk to somebody right now who won't criticize me. And I was like, whoa, when did I become that guy? Good stuff. Thank you, program. Thank you, higher power. Yeah, you became a person that is someone on for good advice. Yeah, to be a go-to guy. And a buddy of mine was like, listen, try it for 90 days. If you don't like it, we'll refund your misery. And I'm like, wow, it sounds like something I saw <laughs> yeah. night on, on TV. You know, if you don't like it, just turn everything for a full refund. I'm like, that's great. Wait, I can go back to being depressed and hating myself <laughs> and shoving stuff up my nose all day long. That's wonderful. Exactly. I had a kid I was sponsoring and he disappeared for like eight months and I would call him every once in a while. And every once in a while, he'd answer. And he'd say, uh, yeah, you know what they say, your misery will be refunded in full. And I said, yeah, kid, you know where to go. You got my number. Yeah. Give me a buzz. You know, that's why like, we know we can't get anybody sober. and We can't get anybody drunk. Right? I know I just, uh, what I can do is, is work my program to the best of my ability and try to help somebody. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm no evangelist. So, you know, people will come up to me and say, you know, all right, you're not a maniac anymore. What, or how do you do that? You know, I, so I've, I've had, I've been, you know, I know the whole looking down the business end of, uh, it's not fun. And they, this was someone. No, no. Had to. They had to do what they had to do. And I understood what they were doing, even in that. It's like, what the hell did, did I do to myself? In that? And you don't realize until you get sober. Yeah. Where I'm, yeah. Where I'm here now in this circumstance. Exactly. Yeah, my office in Quincy, uh, when I was still in Boston, I, you know, it was like a three minute walk from my, my apartment. And, and uh, I used to have to walk past the Quincy courthouse and, and it was still like 12 years later and I was still giddy about, you know, not having any open cases, not having to, you know, stop there with the one tie that you have, uh, you know, that whole thing, you know, where you, you know, someone says, hey, you want to go here? And you can't, I can't, I get caught, can't leave the state, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so, yeah, it's so awesome not to have that in your life anymore. Yeah. You know, you, uh, you, you live in down Hawaii now. Um, mm-hmm. Kapa, Hawaii, out in the, on the really island right. of Kauai. The only thing I really know is from that documentary yeah. about that surfer, about that, that particular island. But you do surf, right? And, you know, you, you said you yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I blew my shoulder out. But, yeah, I have a, a nine-foot-two waterman you know i got an old guy board you know the one that the board yeah, does most of the work <laughs> 56 now i'm gonna be 57 yeah it's real wide it's nine foot two <laughs> but you know i mean i love that and i love the hiking and you know we have the Kauai athletic club 
uh, right up the street. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm at 56 years old and sober 13 years. I'm healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. And I got RA too. I got, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. I'm seropositive rheumatoid arthritis. You know, that's why I say uh, with the RA, I, I belong yeah, to both clubs. That's rough too. I mean, you know? and that's a, that's celery benefit of, you know, uh, having to, you know, like I, it, with the RA, you have to move. You know, so, you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, pretty good shape because, you know, I have to move. Because if you don't move, it gets worse, <laughs> But I, right? you know, it's, 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 it gets worse. Well, it's like you stiffen up. You turn into, yeah, you turn into uh, like the 10 man. You can't really move that well. Um, but, you know, I get some meds that I take for that. Um, no painkillers or anything like that. It's just this real, like, because it's an autoimmune disease. And that's basically why I, I went to, um, fully remote is because you know the immune system is suppressed with that medication so uh you know i had a i had a cloned laptop already from my desktop and basically once i left and came back from hawaii i never went back to the office ever again they just delivered my laptop and we do you know online clinical meetings you know i had a clinical uh staff meeting today you know it's just to get acclimated and then we acclimate there, uh, with the, with the outbreak uh, we're lucky here. Um, they, you know, because they they're so they were so worried about it because this this island itself has, is so limited with their medical resources, and they I think they have like nine ICU beds total on this island, so they have to be real careful. But they've kept it to a real minimum. You know, at one point we had no cases for like two months, and then a. Uh, couple people traveled to see their families and i think right now i think there's like only 11 active cases so so far so good i mean this island is small oahu is the same size this one has eighty thousand people in oahu has a million four so you can yeah so there's a huge difference uh, most of this island the interior is all mountains uh, waimea canyon um, and everybody kind of lives on the coast you know, the North Shore is where they, they filmed all the, the Jurassic Parks. Now. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's where they, they filmed all the movies. Yeah. It's got a, you live in a paradise. I, I live in North Jersey and you live in paradise. Oh, I... I, I yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, there's no way that I could even hedge it. You know, well, it rains sometimes. doesn't make a difference. It's still, you know. But I've been coming here for years, you know, and... Uh, I, like I said, I I wouldn't have just up, uprooted and landed in some place where I didn't know a bunch of people because again, my recovery is important. But I had a lot of friends in the uh, recovery community here. Um, I plan on like when it when it does open up and you can actually go places again. You know, I I got I got you know they somebody gave my name to somebody and that's how. I ended up doing that that case up at the med center, but I mean, I plan on doing like my presentation at like the school or the, there's a jail here, and you know I plan on doing volunteer work because I got my pension from uh, from the union, and uh, you know and I, I I still work full time, so I you know I I love to do that stuff. I love to help people understand it. You know, I know it really brought me a lot of relief to find out that I wasn't just a jerk. Yeah. You know? it's, it's- it's a really no, it's like realizing you're not just an asshole. 
underlying things that yeah yeah it's like you know i say like the peanut allergy the peanut allergy analogy i, I use yeah. when i do my classes is like you know you're you got a peanut allergy and at eight years old your your throat closes your eyes close you can't breathe they rush it to the to the emergency room they hit you with an epi pen at no time later on in your life you go you know something i haven't had a peanut in a while you don't That's do cool. that man but an alcoholic will walk out of jail. We'll walk out of jail right into a bar. I know? walked out of a hospital. Yeah, so there's something else going on. After my foot got run over by my own mother, my fault, with a bottle of painkillers that walked home without even signing any insurance forms. Yep. Yeah. Just lost my license. <laughs> oh, yeah. I walked out. I, wa I walked out in 2004. I walked out AMA after a heart attack. After a guy showed up, yeah, uh, 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 an employee that I worked with showed up at the hospital with a bag full of beers, and and uh, I just went AMA. I walked away, and you know my the alarms went off and everything because I still had the the stickies on my chest, and and at the time my wife, you know, my first wife, she was still sitting at the uh, working at the airport, and I called her up, and she was working early morning shift, and I said, you know, I need. Uh, I got to get back to work. Like that's this was my madness. You know, I left in an ambulance and I was trying to go back to work. And, and she said, "Yeah, where you been all night?" And I said, I, "I had a heart attack." And she's like, "Oh yeah, all right." So I show up at the airport. <laughs> and she she meets me at the curb with my buddy in the car. I get out. She hands me the money. I give the money to the cab driver, and she says, "All right, so where you been all night?" And I lifted up my shirt, and I still had the like the the adhesive paddles on and all the stickies. And she just goes, "You you are driving me insane." And they wouldn't let me go back to work because I left in an ambulance and I didn't have medical clearance to come back. I mean, that's just the insanity. See, you know, it's just crazy. But, you know, the one thing I learned, though, is, is about the, the midbrain and the drives and all these, you know, the neuronal pathways is that it, the insanity isn't doing things like that. The insanity is is surviving things like that and, and then going back to the liquor store the next day. You know, jumping off a roof, breaking both your legs. That's what we do under the... You know that the 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 influence of alcohol, but it, but it's wheeling the the wheelchair down to the liquor store two days later, and and blaming the the vent pipe yeah. for the reason we fell off the roof. I mean that's that's who we are. That's, now you That's who I was. You know, have, I know that's who I was. Question: have, In your in your uh, yeah yeah lifetime working sure. around you know various union uh, employees, how many guys have you? alcoholics and they never take any time off their only purpose in life is to drink and go to work it's like it's like if they don't go to work and, and work yeah that was my crew that was my crew i couldn't hang around with somebody who didn't drink go, like i did go to work at, you know and that's that, that's what gives you some sense of purpose you don't even take time off i know people don't even take their yeah and it's eight hours it's eight hours out of the day eight, it's eight hours or 16 hours a day where you can't just run rampant. I mean, I drank during the oh, yeah. work a lot, but uh, I couldn't, you know, the way, you know, the way I, you know, usually did when there was nobody watching me. Right to freaking narcotics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. I had uh, a good friend of mine. He passed away from... Um, from alcoholism, the probably the ugliest way you can from the varices, you know that that um, blood vessel along your esophagus. He he had a coffin fit one night when he was passed out, and he bled out. He bled out in like three minutes, and and um, 
and when I went to his funeral, he was, he was my best friend for a long time, but you know, he was, we hadn't really hung out because I had gotten sober like three or four years. And I told him I couldn't sit in the bar next to him and watch him, you know, and, and do what we used to do. And, and, uh, when I went to the funeral, it was funny. There was, there was, it was, well, it was ironic. I guess it was only one other person there from our original crew that was still breathing and she was in recovery, you know? Like most of our crew that we ran with, you know, because we all grew up together. We started at the airport in our early 20s and, you know, and, and we did 30 years. So uh, all along the way, people were either in a, you know, half the people that I, I were, well, that I drank with were either in a flop house or dead. You know, you know how many people that I, 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 I can't count how many people I lost, like that I went to school with, that I don't even have, I don't even know where they are, mm. what they're doing. And some of them, I lost like some of them OD'd, you know, two OD'd. One got into there was a bad car accident. I remember like uh, somebody a little older than me, car accident, all banged up on on heroin, and it's just uh, you know you you I lost a lot of people like that that year that I graduated '96. It was really bad around here for for heroin, and there's a lot of people that didn't make it out, you know, and even if yeah. they did make it out, they really. They no. they yeah yeah i mean yeah it is and, and that's you know it's a chronic deadly illness but the good thing about you know being in recovery to me is is it, because because the program of recovery isn't just about putting the substance down it's about you know working on character defects and figuring out what the, the causes and conditions are the beautiful thing about having this one chronic deadly illness it's like the only chronic deadly illness i know that you come out yeah, of it way better true. than you went in and the medicine is you know? uh you gotta look at yourself you know? and put down the booze yeah Yep, you have to you have to get honest, which is a difficult because thing for an alcoholic. No, that's why. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I love you know I love trying to lie, but you know when you do your first inventory and you try to lie to yourself, writing it down, writing down a lie is so stupid. It's, you know, but you realize that you you did it. You know, I know I tried to do it in the beginning. It was like I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Lie a Liar? You know, uh-huh. the pen is blue. You know, it's just like you know, that's how it's like, dude. Who, who are you lying to? You're yeah, the only one who's going to read this. Yourself, you know, what's well, the point? Yeah, what is the point? You know, whatever. Uh, uh, my brain was never, I was never focused on anything. Uh, half the time, I probably didn't even know if I was lying to myself or not. Uh, that's how screwed up I was. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as I can get out of my. Oh, uh, it's the thing we can put ourselves into anything. You know, into anything. Well, that's where the anger management stuff comes in too. I do the anger management stuff, and it does. It comes from from all the midbrain stuff. You know, that's where we, you know, you get the fight or flight, the perceived threats, and and this is why we can sit in the dark and talk ourselves into a frenzy without the other person even being there. You know, it, it, yeah, it's an amazing, and that's the thing is, if you go to jail, you know, you don't see a lot of white on white tie hitmen or, or or the yeah. Joker or the Riddler or the guy with the suction cups stealing the Hope Diamond. Man, you see, everybody was drunk, high, or angry. You know how many times it's all midbrain. I've I've won arguments you against know? my open up taking a shower. You know, speaking about getting yourself frenzy. You know, talking to something like as if it's someone that you conflict with and they don't even know, and you're sitting here resentful. Arguing with yeah. inanimate objects in your house. Exactly. 
well, that's the thing too is like if we've had an argument in our head with like somebody else and we have the argument and we we put words in their mouth we assume what they're going to say when we see them we are in that emotional state that they actually said that shit and that's why they're like well, i'm just trying to eat a sandwich i don't know what your problem is <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's been a, it's been an incredible. Uh, I I love and you know my life is. I say to people, my life is it's silly. It really is. It's silly, stupid. Those, you know, to be dead twice. Yeah. You know, ah, oh, it's just gorgeous. And you know something, there's not a day that you can't because the whole island. You know, if you go from top to bottom, it'll take you maybe an hour and ten minutes tops if you go the length of the island and. And uh, you know, I mean, there's not a day that you can't find surf somewhere on this island. You know, right now this with the winter swell is up north, and and that's you know that's real dangerous, especially you know like I, I'm a I'm a Boston guy. You know, that's what you know. I got stuck out there before. <laughs> I get stuck out there before, and I'm thinking to myself, damn, this is where headlines are made. Stupid Boston guy takes on winter swell. You know, I'm like. But uh, yeah, there's places all along. You can gauge it. Hanalei Bay is just like one of the most beautiful places in the world. But you know, but they, you know, they have pain here too, and that's what uh, what you know, um, you know, yeah. gives me purpose. I, I get to uh, to help and volunteer. Uh, you know, just uh, again, program teaches me how to how to be a decent human being and how to get you out know of self. It's a real good reminder that you know. But yeah, without question. You're without question of those pictures. I know it. It's, I must have some people back home going, shut up. Yeah, we know it's sunny <laughs> yeah. and beach. And- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice rainbow. You know, shut it's, up. It's uh, a <laughs> that you can live in paradise and still have that going on in your head. You know, and people don't realize that, like, oh, well, you know, an addiction or alcoholism or any of that mental illness. They think that materialistic things, or they think that where you yeah. live is how you go about your life. It's so not true, you know. Yeah, like a new car will fix it, or, or like like a lot of us do, yeah. a relationship will fix it, uh, yeah. having a child will fix it, <laughs> and none of none of those things fix it, you know. And, it's uh you know I'm, I'm i'm blessed to be at the uh i'm definitely blessed to be breathing and to me i feel like this is all gravy you know between two heart attacks uh, rheumatoid arthritis alcohol and drug addiction i'm like a florida cockroach good luck killing me you know um i appreciate but uh you know i i do get up every day and i i do i do think uh thank my higher power for another day of sobriety i thank him at night i ask him for another day and then basically, I always say it. I say it in a lot, in a lot of my videos. You know, I say, you know, shoot for midnight, put another one in the box. Aloha. I've been yeah. doing that for a while. Yeah. Aloha. Really baby, that's right. I really do. A lot of love. Hey, Steve. I appreciate you, you having me, my friend. The men and women out there listening, or is there anything you want to you want to talk about? Well, you know, some recovery, I guess would say, I say from, for me, recovery is, is, you know, it might look good uh, that I'm here in paradise with mango trees and roosters crowing first thing in the morning. I'm up before them. Um, but without that peace of mind, without that connection to my higher power, without the fellowship and without my, you know, with that beautiful serenity 
um, none of it would would be anything. Uh, this is a recovery again. Is for me, is it's all I can do is speak for myself. Is uh, I'm an incredibly grateful guy, and uh, and uh, what I did is I learned from people who went before me. I stopped uh, thinking I knew everything, and I got out of my own way. And here I am with the ability uh, to help people. Going to continue to do so, and I'm talking to Steve now and helping some, uh, you know, helping some listeners understand that there's, you're there's, uh, there's too. a world beyond you're it. You're helping me too, and it's a wonderful world, dude. <laughs> but yeah, that's it, brother, and uh, you know, aloha. You know, I will yeah. definitely see you on the IG. Remember, it's it's J underscore Diggs underscore sobriety we'll there say hello i appreciate it brother you know all right bye all right my friend all right i see the whole lot